my chat room censoring my cheerleading. I don't even know what to think about it. Anyways, um, <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> I hope you're having a good week so far. Um, Monday is over, so say yay. Um, go team. Uh, we're going to talk tonight about uh, formatting and um, uh, story format, not the actual formatting of your file, which I, you know, actually could be an important topic if you're a professional writer or if you want to you know, pursue professional publishing um, because formatting can kill you in the submission stage if you don't follow their instructions. A lot of publishers won't even read your shit if you if you can't follow instructions. Well, that's a different podcast for a different evening. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that Susan asked. Susan asked on my Ask Me Anything page, which you can find on my website. Um, you shared on the podcast that in several occasions, I'm sorry to make this a little bit bigger, but I can't even see it. Wow. My old lady vision coming back to haunt me. Okay. Um, on several occasions, you've started a project then realized that the format, episode, serial, novella, or no- novel, you initially chose for that story did not work. Sometimes you have replotted the story so that it would fit the format you wanted to use, and other times you have decided to use a different format that better served the story you already had in mind. When rewriting a large idea, how do you decide between, for example, breaking up a series of novels into episodes or seasons or replotting the story that would fit your novel format better? Well, the the first immediate answer that came to mind is um, this is a skill you learn through experience, which isn't helpful In the immediate, right? It's not particularly helpful. Um, I'm going to get Jilly on the air. She wants to talk about this topic. And um, we've been kind of noodling it um, this evening. And um, uh, there she comes to save the day. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) I I, I noodled and noodled and went, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I want you guys to know, though, it's probably too much information, but I'm going to share it anyway. I am currently wearing my Wonder Woman underwear, so. Are you? I am. There you go. That's, I'm wearing blue polka dots, so there you go. <laughs> I think. We are ready. I think, I feel like, I feel like I should check. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But, um. I, you know, the thing is, is, I am having this problem with the unspeakable plot. And the reason I've decided to break it up is because when I added the triad, which is my pref- which is the preference I have for that relationship, because I really feel like that Draco, um, adding Draco to the narrative really balanced something out that I was missing when I was first writing it. And I really like what I've done with it. But the structure for the story is so tight that... Um, Inserting him into the parts I've already written is difficult. And if I had room to spread it out in in a series, um, I think that it would be um, I'd be I'd be I'd be more comfortable with exploring the triad. And I have a huge cast of characters in Unspeakable Plot because it's not just about Harry, um, and um. I bought my Wonder Woman underwear at Walmart, as a matter of fact. I wanted to get some Spider-Man ones, but they didn't have any. But And the Hulk ones, the Hulk ones were only a thong, and I can't wear a Hulk thong. 
that just seems wrong. <laughs> I do want to that to him. Candy. I want he, to he's not old candy. enough for that kind of contact. No, 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 no. Um, but I do have Wonder Woman and um, Supergirl, and I. Um, but I can't. I, I I wanted the Incredible Hulk, but I have to draw a line. I feel like um, they should not be a thong, and I feel like Spider-Man panties should actually be like a boy short. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> Just saying. I have issues. I even I even have underwear issues. But um I think that when it comes to deciding that uh it's easier if you haven't started writing to make that decision. Because separating it out into episodes now with the unspeakable plot is kind of daunting. And if I'd known what I wanted to do with that when I started writing, I would have done it differently, obviously. But when I'm coming into a new idea, um, I pick the structure for what I'm going to do with it. Like, obviously, when I planned... um, Yeah, Iron Man could definitely be a song. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Iron Man could definitely be a song. (laughs) The Spider-Man definitely needs to be boy shorts. I'm just saying. Deadpool should be granny panties. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. definitely, Absolutely. Absolutely. They should be granny panties. <laughs> and if you ask Ryan Reynolds, he would agree. <laughs> He's got a filthy relationship with that dirty with that old lady. So, yeah, that's... <laughs> She can Start wear the talking. thong. He has to I wear the, may, he has to wear the granny panties. Never, I may never get over shirt cocking. I <laughs> just start not waiting. Um, just shirt cocking it. <laughs> Didn't even know that was a phrase. Now it's in my vocabulary forever. <sighs> Anyways, so like if I'm going into Nano and I have an idea for Nano, obviously I'm planning that as a novel. Um. And so when I'm structuring my my whole plot, um, I'm approaching it from that perspective. And that's what I did with Unspeakable Plot. Um, I approached it from a novel format. I plotted a novel. Um, I ended up writing 65% of my plot during that nano. Um, And only after the fact did I... See, I stopped because I had problems. I had issues. I, I something was missing. Something was off, and it was a character issue. And I, um, it wasn't until I wrote Darkly Loyal that I really came to realize that I wanted a triad in Unspeakable Plot as well. That there was um, Harry and Hermione in Hogwarts in Unspeakable Plot are very vulnerable. Because of their age, and yes, they have Minerva, but she's not—you know—she's she's not a student, so she's not with them, and it's dangerous. And they've got another unspeakable in the castle, in you know, in in the potions position. So there's that, and and I did that. I thought that would help balance out the the issue I was having, and then I wrote on 
uh, then I wrote Darkly Loyal, and I was like, oh, this actually works so much better that there's three of them, and, you know, there's a, you know, it just, it feels safer. And it was, and see, Dumbledore is so much more dangerous in unspeakable plot than he is in Darkly Loyal. I mean, he's hella gone more dangerous. And um, and, and and it's not just to do with their ages. And so um, it wasn't until I was in the alpha read with Julie that I real that she you know she point blank told me this this isn't working. <laughs> there's there's not enough Draco. He feels like an add on, and he did. He did feel like an add on, and it was because I didn't have enough room in the novel format to spread it out. But and I I thought you agreed. When I said that, I think I could turn it into an episode series and spread it out and have a little bit more room for my characters, that it would solve that problem. Yeah, because you could do some subplots with Draco that explain what's going on with him rather than extra scenes with him would would kill your pace. But you could have episodes that focused more on him as opposed yes. to um, pace-killing extra scenes that are away from your main story narrative. So. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, when you talk, floated the idea of changing it into episodes, but I could see, I mean, you've got a lot of story there. Um, you have yeah. to have like 200 K. So, um, that's, that's a lot of story to convert, you know, and it's going to bloat when you do that because you're, you're adding, you're, I have to add stuff to ebb and flow the episodes anyway because the episodes mm-hmm. need to have an arc of their own so you have add-on stuff to to close out to but, following action for episodes but and then you've got new episodes um so you know that's gonna it's both a daunting writing task and a daunting editing task but the other side of it is is that um Allowing myself to accept that I need to do this in episodes is also kind of freeing because I'm not suddenly looking at a 300K epic. I'm looking at episodes, which I handle very well. Yeah. And you're not trying to I'm looking at finish 300K at once. Which I'm looking is, at like maybe 10, murder. 15K discrete packages. Because episodes should be like um, compact focused events. And I think that, you know, if I get my plot out and I start working with it, it'll, it'll be easy to accomplish. Just need to have a little bit of time. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, uh, the structure of my, 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 idea, my idea structure comes from the event. Like, going into Quantum Bang, I knew I had to have a novel. I had a couple of ideas on the, on the, that I had not, uh, actually, um, and then I had another idea that I ended up going with, and um, I went into it structuring it like a novel because I needed a novel. And after I did my plot, I was very comfortable with what I had. And if I hadn't been comfortable writing this in a novel format, I would have um, set it aside to noodle for later and picked up a new idea for the quantum thing. Um, so I don't I'm probably not the best one to answer this question because it isn't often that I can't 
shape an idea to fit what I want. Because I could, in theory, make The Unspeakable Plot work as a series, maybe like a, a three-book series. Um, it would take a lot of rewriting, but I could do it. I just think it would be easier on me, creatively, to make it um, a um, an episode series. Yeah. Well, I, I think it boils down to just I, what I think is easier. I think for people who are struggling with, like, what is this? Because sometimes it's a matter of what are you willing to compromise? Because I I know that, like, sometimes you compromise on what you want to make something fit a format or a challenge. And that's, that could be fan fiction challenge-based, or that could be submitting your novel to a publisher. I mean, sometimes you're compromising on, you know, this piece or that piece or whatever to – to get to something, to get to, I mean, you did that with the subtle body, right? Um, you kind of comp, you compromised on your plot to a degree to make it fit the urban fantasy challenge. Um, so you, 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 you know, you can make something fit a challenge. And so that's kind of the question people have to um, be willing to answer. You have to be able to ask and answer is, what am I willing to change to make it fit blah? If you want to write a novel, but you've got something that you think you need, I don't know, 12 points of view, that's not a novel. You need to think of something else. If you can't compromise on the points of view, then you don't want to write a novel. So, I mean, you have to kind of figure out, like, what are your hard lines for the story? Like, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do. And then figure out what fits. And one thing that might help is to look back at your works and figure out um, did you choose the best option for the works that you have finished? And are do you have the right options for your works that are in progress? Because if I were to look back at some of my stories that are done, I would have done some of them differently. Um, and the funny thing is I actually did this exercise. I went back because – after we talked about this, I went back and kind of noodled on not just my current life in fan fiction. I noodled on my prior life in fan fiction. And um, I did write big stories. I never didn't write big stories. But I was very good at cutting them off, um, writing discrete packages that made sense. I mean, sometimes they were 100K or sometimes they were, you know, 90, 90 80, 90K. They were long novel lengths. Um, but I didn't write epics, even if maybe an entire series of epic lengths or something. Um, the the longest discrete story um, probably is Emergence. And I think that's a little bit with a little bit of um, a little bit of a viral thing from fandom is like write an epic, write an epic, write an epic. And I'm like, wow, my skills in, in, in not in picking novel, you know, cutting a story off and knowing where a story should end slipped. But I won't hang out without practice, but it slipped between, you know, um, first fandom life and second fandom life. And I was like, hmm. So I thought about that. And so I looked at all the stuff I've done this go around. And, like, I think the two biggest stories I have, both should be different. Different. I think Emergence should have been two novels. Um, and I think Journey Home should have been two maybe three, either two novels or three novellas. Uh, Journey Home especially has two distinct climaxes. That's two distinct stories. Um, and I think the, it's really obvious where those two stories are. So 
it's kind of a look back at my work and go, was that the right package? Did I do that right? Or did I just keep writing? And that could be one way to, to analyze it is look at your work that you've done. Um, doing that kind of postmortem on your own work, did I do the right thing here, can really help. And look at what you've written and gone, would this have been better served in an episode format? Um, did I take out some points of view I wish I'd had? Would it have been nice to have another subplot? Um, or something like that, you know, and then see if, if you can kind of dissect your own work. Um, you could go dissect my work if you want. If you want to try to figure out where I think the breaks in, in Journey Home is, I am willing to entertain you trying to guess that. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> if you're doing it as a learning exercise, I don't care. As long as you're not doing it as a poke, 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 you should have done this differently because that's really fucking annoying. Um, but one of the things I look at when I try to decide if I need to do episodes or not um, is point of view. There's, um, if you need a lot of points of view, you you probably need to. I would think that's a strong indicator that you need to do episodes. Agreed. Uh, I sometimes there's a reason why you have a one-off point of view here or there, uh, and they're good reasons. But you need to be sure you're really clear on what constitutes a good reason for a, a random point of view. Um, hmm. So what are the options? Like when you're looking at a story, you've got to decide if it's a novel, a novella, a series of novellas, um, a series of short stories. Because a series of short stories to me is different than a series of episodes. And maybe I need to mute for a second because I have a thing going on. Um, Maybe you could talk about the difference between short stories and episodes because somebody asked me that um, yesterday, the day before, about the difference between the two. Okay. Okay. A short story to me is a is a one shot. Uh, it is a complete work that stands entirely on its own. Um, that could have the potential for a sequel or not. I have plenty of short stories on my site, actually. All my one-shots will qualify as um, uh, short stories. Um, I would say that my most popular short story is probably The Air That Angels Breathe, the one where John has wings, um, which I noodled on writing a sequel for um, in April. Um, I'm, I'm on the fence about it, so we'll see. Um, I actually have a very limited set of stories that I can write a sequel for, and that is one of them. Um, but currently it stands as a short story on its own. Um, with the episode, I talked about last year or the year before, I, I did a short and junk about episodes and, and novels. Um, and in the episode section, I talked about how episodes are kind of like building blocks. And you're using each episode to build a story in your season. And so while your episode should be a discrete package, a, a, a story told with a beginning, a middle, and an end, it should also, um, unless you're doing a Monster of the Week episode, it should also speak to the larger plot in your in your series, in your season. Um, and uh, most shows do this. They have shows, uh, TV shows, where there are... Um, 
episodes that are that have far-reaching consequences throughout the rest of the season, and then some that are just like, you know, the, the monster of the week. And um, stories like, you know, X-Files has a whole bunch of monsters of the week. Uh, or if you look at, you know, um, NCIS, there's, there are episodes that are just, a, here's a case, there's a murder, it gets solved, they move on, and it doesn't have any impact on the show's um, overall story arc. And then you have episodes like Kill Airy, which, or whatever it was called, um, and the one where Kate is killed, um, the one where uh, uh, the, the the Domino episode, and these are episodes that uh, Dead Air is actually an episode uh, what I would consider a Monster of the Week episode when it actually should have had far-reaching consequences, but it didn't. Um, while cop show procedurals, CSI, um, have, uh, said the miniature killer in CSI would be a really good example of that, uh, that, that the story was told over a long period of time for the miniature killer. And in between that, there were episodes that really weren't all that important. But if you missed a miniature killer episode, you were going to be in trouble because the next time a miniature killer came on, you would have missed something and, you know, you would have missed a part of that storyline. Um, so when you're building episodes for a season, you want to kind of toss out the details of your bigger story in episodes as you move along to build your season. But a short story is just a contained um, story, beginning, middle, and end, and you're done. And that's that. And that's that. Um, <laughs> kind of think of your, your episodes as like puzzle pieces. You're putting together a big puzzle for your reader. Yeah. If that visual helps. Um, and like episodes, you don't have. I think with episodes, you don't. Oh, I'm not gonna. That, that wasn't gonna be a good way to explain that. But I guess a more strategic, a, a more more specific example. Um, Um, sorry, chat room distraction. The um, I have a story that is in desperate need of a sequel, and that is um, to me, it's always felt like it's just waiting for a sequel, and that's um, I wasn't waiting for you, which is the Tony Hotchner, Tony Aaron Hotchner Sentinel Guide story. Um, but the reason why um it doesn't have a sequel yet is because every idea I've come up with for the sequel feels like an episode. And um, the first story was a complete story that stands on its own. So for, for two short stories to, you know, be connected, I need a second story that stands on its own. But like I said, everything I have come up with feels like a direct continuation of the first story which would be like a two-episode series, and that doesn't work for me. So because I think of that first story as a short story and not as a first episode, it affects what I think of as a viable thing to do for a sequel. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But you yeah, could treat it like a novella can... series, like, like what it might have been is a novella series. Yeah, I could, yeah. 
but I still need to come up with some because even with, you know even with a series of novellas, there needs to be a significant plot. Um, you know, there has to it has to be a plot. So I just feel like that everything I've come up with for that story um, has just been a a direct continuation of where I was, mm-hmm. like part two. Um, so that's kind of affected a little bit how that what I've what I've I'm still noodling on it. Um, whereas other stories, I have a more direct idea for um, a sequel. Like actually, my idea for a sequel for um, All Your Reasons was so big that I would have then turned it into a, a, like a TV series. It would have been like a it would have been episodes. To I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> so, but and a part of it for me is also. I mean, this might be a little bit OCD, but some of it is a little bit about balance. You know, it's like it's difficult for me to take a like a twenty k story and then tack on an eighty k sequel. It, it, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I know people can do that, and I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying it's difficult for me. Uh, it feels out of balance. So it'd be easier if I had an 80 to 100K idea to break that up into 20, 30, you know, 10 to 30K pieces that have like an episode slow and write the season of of that, you know. But it's just, I mean, I don't know how you tell. Like you get a plot, sometimes I just know. Like I get a plot and I go, okay, that's going to be a series of, I might say a series of novellas, but usually for me that when I say it's going to be a series of novellas, I usually mean it's going to be a series of novels. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, <laughs> She's a little wordy. Yeah, I am. I do think that the, um, the Tony goes to Beacon Hills stuff where that first episode's up on, um, actually first no that is more of an episode than a novel, but whatever. It's going to be kind of lengthwise. They're going to be three novellas. Uh, and I do think I hit, I hit that one pretty much exactly where I thought I would hit it. So sometimes I hit them right on the money. It's like, okay, I know that that's going to be a novella, and it is. And sometimes I start writing and I go, hmm, well. But it's usually the only time I'm really way off in my estimates is when I'm trying to practice word economy on purpose. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, I can sell that 25K. No, I can't. <laughs> no. Not on a bet. I'm trying to think of what we could identify as some of the traits of a novella versus a novel versus an episode. Well, we've identified one thing lots of points of view. Like, if you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of different storylines, really strongly consider episodes. Because lots of subplots, or especially if, you know, points of view, if points of view are attached to those subplots, can be really difficult to manage in a novel. It can just murder your pace. Um, I would call that one hallmark of an episode. Um, Lots of mini climaxes. Do you have lots of little moments that are 
um, might be a good, if you've got a, a big idea and it's got a lot of significant little moments, that might be a good clue that you've got, you might want to try episodes. Um, uh-huh. That'd be really good. If you've just got rising action, that's more of a novel. You know, if it's just rise, 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 rise. But if it has little peaks and that little peaks, those would be really good for individual episode peaks. So if you already know that, that you've got 10 little peaks, 10 little moments that are significant, I would, I would probably, I, I would call that a strong indicator for plotting episodes or a series of shorts or something like that. Because you've, you've, you, you've got your climaxes baked in. Yeah, I mean, if you have a bunch of events that can be resolved easily and not extend over um, the, the period of a whole novel, then you're looking at episodes. And, like, maybe if you have one or two plot points that you need more room in, that's something you spread out over your whole season. Say you have ten episodes, but you have um, nine, ten, fifteen plot points that could easily be resolved in a in five to ten K, you're looking at episodes. If you look at the structure of of episode series, um my biggest one being SOA, um, I have readily resolved epi- um events in each episode that take center stage and then I have other things that spread out over the whole season. And that's a good way, you know, to, um, like Julie said, if you've got those peaks and valleys in your plot, then you know. But if you're not a plotter, I don't, (laughs) I don't know how you know. (laughs) I think if you're not a plotter, you need to go in just assuming you're going to write episodes. If you're a pantser, just say, I'm going to go pants 10 episodes. (laughs) <laughs> At least if you do that, you give yourself some stopping points and you're not stuck in an and then mode. And it also, one of the things that doing episodes allows you to do is it allows you to finish stuff um, as opposed mm-hmm. to, I, I cannot, I cannot stress enough how much work it is to put out an epic length novel. And by epic, I would, wouldn't, it, epic's above like 100K, right? I would say so. But I'm talking like when you talk about the 200, 300 k range, it, that is. Uh, there were days. I mean, I had emergence done, and sometimes I was only posting five chapters at a time because I was posting on two different sites. It's like it's done, but I'm tired. <laughs> so I was incorporating beta feedback, doing my final formatting, and posting five chapters at a time in two different places. And I'd be like, okay. I, uh, that's why I didn't go all up at once. It's because I got tired. Um, it's just a lot easier to put out something that's under 60K or so. I agree. Um, I don't know that I agree that a panther can write everything and then split it into episodes. It's not like you just chop things at... Um, because episodes, just like a, any other story, needs to have a narrative structure. It needs to have point each episode has to have its own point it has to have its own climax it has to serve its own purpose and if you just start writing and you write 200k and then try to draw the division around 15k or so you're not going to find those points i mean 
you could maybe it, it would be a gargantuan editing task to like write 200k and then split it into episodes. It, it, garg, I mean, I can't a gargantuan editing task. I wouldn't want to do it. I've done it. I wrote ties You're working that bind as a novel. I am working oh. on it, but okay. I wrote I wrote ties that bond as a novel, um, and then um, I split it up because it was just getting ridiculous. Um, so the first, I don't know, seven or eight novellas that I put out for ties that bind were actually one big novel. That I had to take apart and restructure into novellas. I 100% do not recommend it. And I'm a plotter. And I plotted all that shit out and then still... hmm. I mean, because I'm a plotter, I had my plot document and it was easy to see where I could create divisions because I had this document in front of me and I had my series... uh, You know, I had what what would become my series Bible. I had all that. So it was not as daunting as going into, say, I don't know... I could not have turned Birth of the Serpent King into a series of novellas. And I pants the shit out of that. Um, I would have had to rewrite the whole thing to do that. But I think because Ties That Bind was actually kind of structured on the format of Stargate, um, and most of my Stargate work is, it's just something you pick up because you watch the shows that it's easier to it was easier to break up into novellas than I thought it would be, but I still would not recommend it. And that's why the unspeakable plot currently isn't on my website. Because <laughs> I don't look forward to that. <laughs> that's gonna be rough stuff. I I think of my existing work the stories, if I wanted to take one of my existing novels, which it's 55,000 words, so it, it is a novel, um, and split it into episodes, it would be if found, could be converted into episodes relatively easily. Um, I have to think what the breakpoints are, but um, it's because it's, I actually wrote it in a five-arc part, five-part arc. And it wouldn't be too difficult to split it almost on those lines, but I would have to do some mm-hmm. editing around it. But it's but most of my novels I couldn't convert in any kind of easy way. Um, but that's one because a lot of times, Kira's talked about with episode stuff that you kind of have like events. You have an event in every episode, and that's one where I knew there were a lot of discrete events that I could I could tie an episode around. There was, you know, the the, the setup, the meeting, the the spreading of the news. Um might do that I think that would do all be one episode. Um definitely when John comes back. Before before that, but definitely when John comes back would be an episode. Probably an episode would start when Tony goes back to work. Um and then the episode an episode would start probably around the boxed in stuff. So that would be the final episode. So I knew there were discrete events that were going to be important. Like, you know, Patrick finds out, he tells David and Matt, um, Patrick goes to meet Sony. That would all be in 
one bit, but I knew there were discrete events that were going to be important. And then Tony goes to New York to confront um, the guy, his adopted father. And then um, uh, Tony kind of has a meltdown. That would be kind of a, you know, a discrete thing that's important. Um, Tony takes leave of absence and goes to do a trial run with the um, home world security. Uh, Tony meets John comes back. Tony and John meet. Um, Tony goes back to D.C. I mean, there were discrete events that all had kind of like a little peak to them. So in that story, I could, I believe I could pretty easily split that into episodes, but I couldn't split imperfect into episodes or memories. Rogue, Rogue, Um, I think that if you can see your breaks, then you probably have been writing unconsciously in a, um, in a parted structure. Um, And it would be easy to turn it into episodes if you've done that, like Jilly Mm -hmm. did with If Found. If you have confined not, events that you could build episodes around in your narrative, yeah, because my parts for if found were um, ten to twelve k. That is not the way I write chapters, but it's just the way it kind of came out. Like when I was writing it online, I was like, "Well, this all feels like one part," and I was calling it, you know, part one A, part one B, part one C, and then I go, "Okay, that part's done. Here's part two. I don't know why I structured it that way at the time. It was just a thing. It was one of the times when I was trying to post um, every day. And so I was calling a big chunk of plot apart rather than trying to figure out what the chapters were. So, I mean, sometimes you do kind of do that. But some things are very clearly the way they come out as they're one discrete story in chapters. Now, I don't chapter short stories personally, ever. Um, short stories might get broken into parts from a pacing perspective, but I don't. I don't actually put chapters in short stories. Sometimes I'll do a three-act arc and I'll mark them part one, part two, part three. Yeah. The only time I think I ever did four parts in a short story was because I had way too much falling action. It was like oh, part four. <laughs> <laughs> It, I've been but, falling for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, in um, the event thing is really critical to episodes. Um, like, I've been working on, amongst the billion, I mean, I've been working on way too many stories lately. I sometimes look at my recent file list, and the file I need has dropped off the recent file list. Um, I've been working on the, the um, For You series, and um, like the event in the first thing is all about them getting back together. It's the forgiveness thing, and then the climax of that story is the 9-11. But there's consequences to that that lead to the next event. And the next event is that Tony is, you guys don't know this, but Tony's presently in Afghanistan. So one of the consequences of him getting temporarily assigned to New York to be closer to Ethan was that it changed his career path, at least temporarily. And it resulted in him getting assigned to do run, run field ops in Afghanistan. So that's where he is presently in the episode I'm writing. And so the event there, the big event there, is him coming home. So they're separated. And so there's that. And then so that's the event for episode two. And part of coming back to that is gives um, – finally starting up the MCRT quite a bit later than it actually happened in canon because Tony's not around. 
And Gibbs can't get along with anybody else. So then episode three is about Kate coming on board and how that event is different because that's going to, it start, you know, Tony has to, it, it's about Tony being different um, and about how the change has, how being with Ethan is changing things for him at NCIS until he ultimately leaves NCIS. And one of the things that changes is his dynamic on the team and what he will and will not put up with. So there's an episode around that, that event. And then the next event is the plague. And so I, I've identified canon events that I'm working around as well as relationship milestones that are, um, so that's kind of the internal external thing. But I'm super I excited. The, I knew <laughs> is anybody else super were. excited? <laughs> and Ethan proposes right after um, Tony gets to play. So, um, there's that, and then there's this whole, there's a whole, then there's, there's going to be a couple episodes that focus around Ethan's political career and what's happened to that as a result of various things. And so there's, there's, but I knew all along that there were events that were spaced apart and that writing those in a novel would be difficult to pace because it's going to span several years of canon. I think it spans... I want to say it spans 10 years of canon, but it might only span eight. But actually with NCIS that whole time. So, but I knew it was spanning a long period of time. And it's actually a little bit difficult to me to write a novel um, unless you do a big time skip. Um, but to just have a discrete storyline that spans eight years in 60K is rough stuff. Yeah, very. I would also say I actually I highly recommend um, outside of, um, you know, writing novels for Nano or um, or Quantum Bang um, that um, I highly recommend the episode or short novella um, series option. Um, it's very rewarding to write the end and being able to do it 25 times. <laughs> is super extra rewarding. <laughs> so when you look at the scope of Signals of Atlantis, it's huge, right? And it, But it never felt huge when I was writing it because I would be writing these, these short episodes and I was building a big story, yes, but it, it was never overwhelming because I was telling these small stories. I was telling these little episodes and it never felt too big. It, it never felt overwhelming, and it was never um, daunting the way going into an edit for Darkly Lowell is going to be. I I don't look forward to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> and I'm only two chapters short of completing Darkly Loyal, and I really do not look forward to that beta process. And, um, and I'm like, but Asking somebody to debate a 10K is a lot different than asking somebody to debate a 200. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, also, writing I, in a short story or novella format, um, episode format, is actually, it's, it's very rewarding. Lady Holder is a weirdo. She likes the 200K. <laughs> I didn't um, hold my I coffee in episodes and really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I, I definitely prefer from an editing perspective. I definitely prefer shorter because when you're when you're editing a novel, you just can't you just can't really take long breaks from it because you forget. Because one of the things you're doing is making sure you're internally consistent, and <laughs> that's a little bit difficult to do. I mean, like you, I see that with authors who repeat themselves like a lot in a story, like in a novel. I'm like, they took a long break at some point, and then they took a long break when they edited. <laughs> They didn't notice the game yeah. that information three three times. Um, we only needed Harry's schedule once, and we didn't even need it once. <laughs> um, but I I have to say I think that the I a lot of my ideas now are coming more to me in like I'm figuring trying to figure out. I look to see if it's viable in an episode format these days, whereas there was a point when that never was a factor because it is easier to um, get something done. Now, now, one thing I do worry about is having a bazillion episodes, a bazillion series in progress, because I've already got more series in progress than I want. Um, I mean, in an ideal world, I would focus on a series until it's finished, but it just doesn't always work that way. So I just, you know, I don't want to get to the point that I have 10 series or 15 series in process. That's a personal choice. But, um, yeah, I definitely am evaluating every idea I have. Is this a series? Would it be better as a series? And sometimes the answer is no. (laughs) It would not be better as a series. Um, I would also say maybe one of the indicators that it could be a series is just how much plot it has. Um, a discrete romance that has a, a one plot thread would be harder to make into um, make into episodes. I think. Like I would. I think if you have like, like one plot and maybe two subplots, you've got a novel. If you've got um, three or four major plot arcs and 20 subplots, then you're looking at an episode series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but like, at the very like least. imperfect, imperfect for me was, um, it's, 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 you know, Tony comes online, there's issues. I mean, I could, there's maybe some stuff, but the thing is the places I could have broken it for like a shorter story all are on a downer. You know, there's nothing good. The, the 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 rising action in that story is a lot angst-filled. So it doesn't start think, to feel better nope. until mm-hmm. till later. But it's still it's a very it's a very discreet plot. It's you got this one thing to solve, which is Tony basically finds he meets he knows he wants Derek almost from the jump. That happens early. So that decision is made early, and there's this this journey to him coming back into his own and then bonding. And so that I would find that difficult to break into pieces. It feels like one journey to a climax. The thing is, is if if you break it wrong, it will destroy the pace. Yeah. Because sometimes your decision is based on your pace and your um and the story you want to tell, and the emotional content that you're dealing with. Because I wouldn't want to write um, five or ten episodes full of angst. 
But no, it would if, never feel if, satisfying. If you had broken that up, you would have had to stretch it out far more mm-hmm. than you did. And right. it would have it would have been miserable. Yeah, because there were, there was no happy climax. There was just the climax, and the climax can be a bad thing. So the climax of multiple episodes would have been not good. It would have been, oh, and then a bad thing happened. That would have been the climax, like three episodes in a row. And that's just not the kind of tone. And, and like you said, I would have had to stretch it out because I would have been adding, you know, narrative structure that wasn't naturally in that part of the story, like falling action. And, <laughs> and the first four episodes would have been miserable. So Utterly um, miserable. To the point where you probably get Jilly, are you okay? <laughs> you know, that's, and when you think about it, that's that story is pretty. Um, it's there's moments that are good, but overall the emotional tone is oh my god. Until that convenience store robbery, that's where the the the, the tone of the story takes an abrupt turn right there, and and that's where Tony is getting better, and so. <laughs> everything leading up to, and that's chapter six and eight, right? So, well, there's seven chapters in an epilogue. So that tone change happens in chapter six. <laughs> so when you think about it, that's that's a lot. Most of the story is is part of the angst fest, which, well, my version of angst, which is much lighter, you know, if there's, you know, I don't know, like pride and prejudice and zombies is like my level of angst <laughs> versus like, you know, Mad Max Thunder Road. That's like, you know, dystopian future. That's, that's not me ever. <laughs> Grandma Agnes. I need to use her in another story. I don't know where. She's got a cane and she's not afraid to use it. <laughs> I want a cane. I have canes. I have a ridiculous number of them for somebody who only needs canes about 10% of the time. <laughs> I actually have a very specific problem with my back to need a cane. And when I do, I have can't stand up without them. I can't walk without them. But it's a very, it's a narrow, it's a small amount of time in my life that I need them. Um, but I think I have like eight canes. <laughs> well, it's, it's important they match your outfit. I, I do have, I have one that's top pink with butterflies on it. Nice. She needs her own series. I could do a series of snippets for the um, the workshop prompts because I Grandma Agnes is supposed to be doing YouTube videos responding to idiotic requests, you know, advice requests on Facebook. I could write like a series of um, <laughs> her responding to various fandom characters. Yes, and, and yes. their problems. Yes. yes. <laughs> Agnes, the Agnes dispensing device advice snippets. Um, um, I'm thinking that sometimes it's a lot easier to work with a concrete example than it is to work with like okay so let's let's talk about your 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 we just we just did it last, was it last night we talked about november 
Mm-hmm. I'm too old to remember things clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, we did. Okay, if you were to structure that as a why? Okay, let me ask you a different question. So, question: What people kind of know your plot at this point if they heard the episode last night? So, one question would be: Why is that a novel? And another question would be: If you were to make that a series, how would it be different? Well, it's a novel because that's how I'm going to plot it. <laughs> I need it for November. Um, but I, the way it's currently structured, I would not write that as episodes because um, it would destroy the the pace and the flow of the of the of the process and the interviews. Um, to put it in episodes and it would also create like much like your story, it would create um, a series of episodes that are very upsetting and depressing because the events would be people dying or people being found out they were betrayed or, you know, it, it would just be one hit after another per episode. And it's going to be like that in the chapters, but if it were an episode format, it would be just continuous. Yeah, that would be because I would have to stretch it out. I would have to stretch it out. So doing it in a novel format um, uh, will make the pace a little easier um, on the writer and on the reader. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. But if I was going to separate it out, I would have to change the format. It wouldn't be told um, in the trial process. I would have to tell it in real time as it happened. Yeah, because that trial thing, usually when they use that plot device in a TV show, it's done for one episode. It's not done across a whole series. So you could have the trial be one episode, but it wouldn't be... But I like the device for a whole novel, so. But I don't think that would work for a series. It would be boring or alternatively upsetting and boring. So, you know, the structure of your story and the story, yes, and the story you have to tell is is, um, important. The the choices you make for POV, um, your tense. All that plays. Whereas I think my story for November could easily be switched into episode format. Um, And doing that would pull in some of those, allow to pull in some of those subplots that I would probably cut out in um, a novel. It would be a matter of why would I want to do that. But, I mean, because you could have, that's a case of where the stuff going on with Tony has impact on a lot of people. And when you write episodes, you can have episodes that shine the light on somebody else. And then you go back to the main storyline, which is Tony. Mm -hmm. And then you have another episode that shines the light on somebody else. And then you, you know, and you pull in subplots, you know, so I think that one could easily be episodic um, or it could be a novel, but they would have a very different slant depending upon which way you went. And I think that a lot of times stories that um, have um, 
emotional content that is um, varied makes it easier to um, do an episode format um, because emotional shifts in your book can destroy pace. But if you're doing mm-hmm. you know, emotional shifts in an episode format, um, if like you say the tone of the queen is a great deal different than any other episode of Sentinels of Atlantis. But there's no way I could have done the queen the way I did as a chapter in a novel. No, I yeah. It no. would have been it would have been utterly jarring to have this this tonal change in the middle of a novel. But because it was an episode series, um, it's different. But it doesn't it didn't destroy the pace or the structure of the overall series. And that makes a difference. (laughs) I should not have looked at that. That's disturbing. On so many levels. And it's not even a dick. Actually, it looks just like a dick. It's just located in the wrong place. I've been here pondering the merits in my own head about November for me, episodes versus novel. And uh, now I'm wondering if I shouldn't save that for to write an episode at some point. Huh. I hadn't considered it at all, the episode thing, until I was just sitting here talking about it. But now I'm that's kind of teasing my brain with potential. <laughs> but then you won't have an idea for November. <laughs> right. And novel writing month. Well, I do have that backup idea that I could do something with. Because but... it is, yeah, it is National Novel Writing Month. Yeah. Am I the only one that just sung that in their head? I hope not. No, no, you're not. Okay. I, I'm not singing it on the podcast. I I refuse to give that sort of entertainment. <laughs> Did anybody else ponder trying to throw their boob over their shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my boobs have never hung that low. But they do occasionally wobble to and fro. They do wobble. I cannot tie them in a knot, though. My mother, my mother used to talk about. She like, um, she's like, she talk about, like you know, when you get old, you're just gonna your, your boobs are gonna just hang there like an empty wallet. You just have to roll it up and tuck it in. It's like oh. an empty wallet. Oh my god. An empty wallet. What a terrible imagery. And yet, now you know, she was not wrong. <sighs> and then and then one time she went off on how testicles age, and I was like, we have to stop. 
Like, I can't do this with you. Please stop. Have mercy. Which is, of course, one of those moments that she busts out. I talked to you about centaur porn, and I'm like, I can't. You're never going to let that go. <laughs> no, she's never going to let the centaur porn go. Never. Never. Okay, does anybody have questions about if somebody's feeling really like, you know, like wackadoodle, like you want, not wackadoodle, but you like you have the time to go, like, I don't know, type up your idea in Instant Messenger, I don't think you'll be able to get it into the chat wing client. If you have a specific question about what would this idea be novel or episode or question, you can send it in Instant Message over on Facebook or something. But one I of think the problems, that, I think. What, go ahead. Oh, I just really. Um, it boils down to what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I I think most ideas can be turned into an episode format. Um, so there's some that I wouldn't want to write, like I said before, because it would just be depressing the hell out of me. But and I don't really enjoy writing depressing stuff. You might have noticed, um, and so. I tend to avoid that stuff, and I, did, I tend to keep my angst, you know, confined to small, small little moments because that's just my preference. Um, so, a lot of times there are ideas that I have that I wouldn't want to explore over a series of episodes because, ugh, <laughs> you know, it's just, ugh. yeah. Well, but also like some ideas I wouldn't want to drag out. Um, yeah. Um, like, um, but maybe. Somebody else would. So, yeah, that's true. Um, but like, um, memories that gives kind of character study. That's a little over twenty k. Um, I wouldn't want to drag that out. No. Um, but again, it comes back to a lot of the stuff that I wouldn't want to drag out comes back to stuff that has. Where the angst, the I, it, for me it's light angst. I don't do heavy angst, but the light angst arc is long. Um, and uh, you know that that resolving of that angst is part of my rising action, right? So that split, it just uh, no. All the stories that I kind of have, kind of a you know, like a shudder and go no, have kind of a that that resolution of the of the conflict is kind of the long game. Um, Now, Vicious actually is – now, this is a, one exception to that, I think, is Vicious because it does also have a long um, – it, it's a long game on resolution of that angst arc. But Vicious herself breaks – would break that. Um, she's the foil for the, the downer. So that's like the one I could think of where I could do it if I wanted to. If I had wanted to, I could have – broke that up pretty easily because I have a foil for the, the downer kind of emotions, the, the angst. Mm-hmm. And the, it's not like bad things happening because there's not bad things happening there, but Tony's going through a major life change. It's difficult for him. So, and he's, you know, having to let somebody in and reveal a lot of stuff. So it's just difficult. Oh my God. Why did we get a you just now, man? You just now saw that. <laughs> yes. Call him Oscar. 
do you feel about snippets that are strung together? Um, hmm. I'm not I a big snippets. fan personally of snippets that are part of the same thread. It, oh, you're all political it, and shit. I, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it don't work for me. I mean, every every this is a case of like there are exceptions. There have been times when somebody wrote 2K of something or 1,500 words, and it was great as it was, and then they added 1,500 words that were related, but not directly after. That's part of the magic there, is it was related, but not like a direct continuation. And I'm like, oh, that's magic too. Um, but when it's just 1,500 words, and then you get another 1,500 words supposedly complete snippet that is a direct follow-on and then another 15 or 200 or 2,000 or 3,000 words. That's a direct follow-on. It just, and, and each of them being called a complete story. I actually find that really fucking irritating. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and like, it is. Those it's are really not fucking irritating. Because they're not Those complete. are not snippets. You're telling me a story in very small parts. Yes. And, and when there's a direct continuation, like, where one ends, the next one picks up. That's they're not independent, so they don't stand alone. They don't have any any anything that leaves them. It's just no. So yeah, so I don't I don't. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> because even if you string them together as one story, it's really not – if you took – like let's say somebody did that with 10, 10 pieces, right, 10, 10 2K pieces, okay, and they're direct I'm already mad. with each other, and they form an arc, like one – it's one story, and they could add 2K on anytime they want, and they call each one a complete story. It's not. Each one is not a complete story because what happens is maybe the first one was a complete story, but if you need the ones ahead of it to understand it, it's not a complete story. So um, that just feels like they don't want to call it a chapter. They don't want to, you know, maybe it's so they can say they're not a work in progress writer. <laughs> oh, I don't post work in progress. Gee, it sure seems like it. <laughs> Cause you're up to part, you're up to part 20 on this. And, uh, Oh, those are each each story is complete. No, they're not. Let me tell you something I hate about the snippet word. I hate when I post like fucking twenty five k novella and someone responds in a comment to tell me they really enjoyed the snippet. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, when I posted De Novo on <laughs> EAD site on our. On our EAD, I had nine chapters of DeNovo post. I think it was nine chapters. How long is DeNovo? No, I got to go check. I want to say it was 45K because it was almost done. I had only one chapter left. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was the first nine chapters I had posted in Evil Author Day. And somebody responded to that 45,000 words and said, thank you for this snippet. I almost came unglued. So I'll snip you. <laughs> Someone called... Um... My um, my legacy novel novel my novel the legacy they called it a chapter. Thank you for this chapter. I'm like, do you do you even have any fucking clue what a chapter is? Because I don't think you do. I don't think you know. 
I didn't say anything, but I wanted to. Wow. Unless by chapter they mean, you know, and then there was a big bang. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for this first chapter. Oh, you're welcome. First chapter of the universe, I guess. Okay. That's so annoying. It's just, you know, I have, I have, I have firm definitions of what these words mean, and a lot of times readers don't use them the way I want them to. (laughs) (laughs) Like Snippet to me is um, a very, it actually either is a very tiny story. I would call something that was like 500 words a snippet, or it's a very tiny piece of a story. Like someone gives you a thousand word preview of a much bigger novel that would be a snippet. But I call that an excerpt. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does adapt and grow and get completely bastardized. Doesn't mean I have to put up with it. I'm still pissed it. off. Of, yeah. I'm still pissed off about all of the lady parts being called a vagina. I'm sorry. There are bits and bobs down there that are not. The vagina. vagina. It's it's inaccurate. And the pro and I actually got you know stern talking to from somebody about resisting that. But I'm like the problem is is that now you have people running around who don't actually know what a vagina is. So sometimes language adapts in really stupid fucking ways. And you have men going around not knowing that a period is 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 outside of a woman's control, or that they don't know that, um, or that young women who are currently having their menstruation don't recognize that when they're having cramps, it is their body spreading their hips minutely like they're in labor, so they can shed their uterine lining. And they're not being taught this in school anymore. They don't know that their cervix has a cycle. I had to explain to my nieces while why their hymen was a wasn't a complete covering of their uterus. My niece thought she couldn't I'm wear sorry. tampons I'm, I'm because, sorry, her, because she would break her hymen. She thought her hymen covered up the whole hole. Oh my god! And my sister was like, "Can you come explain this to her? Because I can't, I can't." My sister has issues, and so um, I go out there, and I'm like, "What problem?" And my niece told me that she couldn't, that she couldn't, she wanted to go swimming um, next the, the week, a week from. And my sister had bought her some tampons, and my niece freaked out because she can't wear tampons because she has a hymen, and if she will lose her virginity. And I'm like, "No, that's not how any of that works." And so I'm sitting there at the kitchen table drawing vulva <laughs> and hymens. And um, her father comes in, and he says, what the hell are you talking about? And I told him, and he goes, don't tell her that stuff. I said, you shut your pie hole and go <laughs> elsewhere. I said, you don't have a vagina. You don't get an opinion. Push off. This is none of your business. She, she has a right to know about what's going on down there. And, I said, and for the record, the status of, of her hymen is not and never will be your business. So fuck off. Oh. I, I, oh, I went 
and he, and and he looked at my sister and she said, "You need to go because she'll whoop your ass." <laughs> <laughs> so he went screwed, and played dude. video games, but she didn't. Her her health teacher hadn't taught her that her hymen is actually a membrane that has a hole in it. And that the hole is different for each girl, you know. And I was trying to explain it, and um, so she goes the first day of her period, and she tried. And we got her some really slender tampons, and I taught her how to, you know, I showed her, I physically told her how to put it in, and I used my 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 fist as an example, your hand, and how that's what you do. yeah, my hand. And I, I was teaching her how, you know, I said, well, you know, you'll know if you're pushing it in the wrong way because it'll kind of hurt. So what you do is you just kind of pull it out and then you just kind of shift it until you get it so that it's comfortable. And then you just slide it right in. And her mouth dropped open. She says, oh, I can do that. I said, do you want to go swimming next week? <laughs> yes. Then you'll figure this out. <laughs> And so she called me, and she said, I put it in. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> So her hymen covered up her hole. And I was like, how do you think that the blood's getting out, honey? And you should have seen it. It's like the, just the, the oh moment crossing her face. So I'm thinking, you know, what the fuck are they teaching these kids in school? I mean, yeah, what are they teaching them? Nothing good. Nothing, nothing good. So I got this guy talking to me one day. Is that my nephew stayed for this conversation. I'm not sure if it's a downside or not. So all five of my nephews now have, um, including the adult one who looked shocked several times during this conversation, have a thorough understanding of the female production system that they did not have before I let, um, before I got there. giving um the guy a ride one day to an electronic store actually the guy I worked I don't remember how clit came up in the conversation this was a guy I worked with so it's just not typical that it would have come up in the conversation but the word the word was used for some reason in in a fairly innocuous way or as innocuous as it could be considering he says I'm not really is. clear on what that he said I'm not really clear on what that is and I was like what? what? What is? He said, that clit thing. And I was like, the clitoris? He says, yeah, what is that Are you exactly? serious? This guy, yeah, he's in his fucking 30s. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't know what it is. And I was like, um, I can't have this conversation with you. I could get fired. But you need to go and, I don't know, look that up. You search, you know, you need to figure, I mean, you need to figure that out. It's very important. <laughs> I need to know where it is, too. And what to do with it, and what not to do with it. But there was but one I, point I, we were talking about lubrication, um, and my brother-in-law went, "Jesus Christ, hon, are you sure?" Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut up. Unless you want to get in here, get in here and learn something, baby. Worse, he calls she calls out to him. You need this part of the conversation, hon. <laughs> you might want to come in here for this part. But no, I mean, like, you know, I don't have any hang ups about discussing this kind of thing. My sister gets embarrassed really easily. She's uh, she just she just couldn't handle it. <laughs> She's she was red faced through most of the conversation. That's sad. Because at one point you need to know what my you need to know what's going on down there. Asked, 
if the G-spot really existed. And one of my older nephews said, yeah, dude, you do. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't need to know about your sexual experience. <laughs> he just exceeded my comfort zone. Because <laughs> he did like, that no, finger no, thing. No. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I said, yes, the G-spot exists. Your brother can tell you about it later. <laughs> I didn't think I had a limit. Apparently, I did. <laughs> I think it's actually dangerous not to teach children um, age-appropriate information about their genitals because it leaves them open to um, abuse. Yeah, and, and I don't. I wouldn't tell them. I, I was way too literal as a kid for some of the suggestions in the chat room. Um, I mean, I was the kid who wouldn't eat Cadbury cream eggs because I thought there were real eggs in them. So um, you would not have wanted to tell me there's a troll living in my j- vagina. <laughs> I would have needed therapy <laughs> forever. <laughs> you would still be in therapy over the pillow troll. Yes, I would be. I would be. It'll bite anything that goes into it. There's to this day, I wouldn't want to put anything in there. Um, it would have, it would have ruined me. So you know, I just it wouldn't be my personal style. To I was, I mean, I had to get have the talk with my middle siblings when they were like eight and nine years old, um, because my mom didn't want to do it. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, I was probably more blunt than she would have liked. But you know, sorry, I told her that. You know, if you aren't going to do it yourself, you don't get much of an opinion about how I do it. But I did the same thing with my sister about how to use a tampon. You know, it's the hand thing. I mean, how else are we going to do it? You use the hand, kind of like it's a tampon. We wasted, like, she wanted to practice, so we wasted, like, half a box of tampons. I don't think and it's then, a waste because it, um, it, she was being taught a skill. And it is a skill. And if you don't do it right and, and you hurt yourself, you won't want to use them. And um, so, you know. Yeah, learning how to use them is really good. My brother especially didn't think it was a waste because he found um, them in a bucket of water to be infinitely fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Boys, 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 boys. But I had this—I had a guy say once. um, He said, "Oh yeah, her skirt blew up, up and I literally saw her vagina." And I was like, "So much wrong with that sentence." So much. I was like, was she laying on the ground with her legs spread? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Let's work on the word literally and vagina. We need to talk about both of them. Because you've used them both incorrectly. Um, I talked this before, but in my health class, they did not have, um, they had, uh, they there was no clitoris on the drawing. And my friend sitting next to me, she leans over and she says, I think I'm deformed. I said, you're not deformed. The the drawing is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's supposed to be like that. Because there was just a hole labeled urethra. And there were four different girls in my health class who thought that they menstruated from the same hole they peed out of. 
Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. <sighs> so don't be surprised when, when 13, 14-year-old girls get pregnant because they're not being told the truth about their bodies. Well, it's sort of like that myth that if you just do anal, you won't get pregnant. Or if he pulls out, you won't get pregnant. When, frankly, anything that comes out of an erect penis can get you pregnant. Yep. And they're, I'm sorry, ladies, but they're designed to travel. So just moving it next door isn't necessarily going to solve your problem. Because if um, you have anal sex and sperm leaks into your vagina, if you have anal sex without a condom and it leaks into your vagina... Um, because of gravity, sperm is mobile. It's it, it's it's got a purpose, and its sole purpose is to find an egg, and it will it will it will travel. It will travel because you're 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 moist down there, right? So it's got a vehicle in which to continue traveling. Even even a teeny tiny, even a, a a fraction of a drop gaping can be a baby. So you know. Pulling out anal and, sex, none of that and, prevents. Now, oral sex, that might prevent you and, from getting pregnant. Right. And, but but pre-cum does have sperm in it. Yeah. And it can get you pregnant, so don't do that pull-out method unless you want a baby. Because um, it's not 100%. And um, Oh, the chat room has gone off the rails. Ah, I just can't even repeat that. Go get in the corner. You know who you, you, yeah. know who you are. All oh. y'all. All y'all get in the corner. Um, wow, I'm just befuddled at the idea of using the sex ed class to treat teach drug use or is that like an anti-drug program or they were treating sex like it was a drug which you know I mean I you know I had a health class in school but it didn't cover anything related to sex reproduction none of that stuff I managed to not have a single discussion about sex women's anatomy none of it there was a brief mention about girls getting their periods um, but you know. my health book actually said that most women only bleed two to three tablespoons of blood their entire period. Huh. And me and the Fucking girls liar. in the classroom were looking at each other as as the teacher, the male teacher, was talking about this, and we all had this look on our face like bullshit. <laughs> that's not accurate. And he said, "What's going on?" I said, "That's not accurate." He said, "Of course it is." I said, "Do you have a vagina?" No, I said, then you don't know. You don't know. And two to three tablespoons is ridiculous. Maybe the hour on the first day of my period might be like that. Maybe, (laughs) but it's doubtful. Yeah. I mean, when I, my mother gave me the talk about, uh, weirdly about sex before she gave us a talk about, you know, our bodies kind of thing, periods and that kind of thing. She gave us the sex talk when I was really young. Um, but when I started having questions, she just went and got me a copy of our bodies ourselves and handed it to me and says that just read. <laughs> wow. There's a lot, 
that I, I read the whole thing. I want you to know if anybody's read our body, ever seen our bodies ourselves. There's a lot in there, folks. That's a big book. Informed afterwards, though. <laughs> I felt I felt very informed. Um, I actually, I think there's something to be said for every woman having or reading that book. Um, when I when I found out one of my cousins who was in her well into her late twenties had never had an orgasm, which she might not have been capable of it, but from the way she described it, it was and she was capable. But from the way she described it, um, it was more of a a sexual inattentive sexual partner and unawareness of her own body issue. Um, I pulled our bodies ourselves. I was always updating my edition of it um, at that point in my life. I don't anymore, but back then I did. I took the latest edition of our bodies ourselves. I turned to the chapter on masturbation. I handed it to her and shoved her in the bathroom. <laughs> I said, I you need to figure this out. Who never had an orgasm. And this is like our junior year. I was like, are you fucking with me? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm never, I don't think I, I, well, you need to get in the car. <laughs> we went to, we went to the adult toy store two hours away from where we went to school. <laughs> it was a field trip. I came out the dorm. I said, hey, we're going to go to city and we're going to go to store. And I said, who wants to go? That car was packed. <laughs> there were five of us in that car. <laughs> So we, we, go. Go get her a, we go and get her a stimulator, not something to insert, because I thought that was a little more that she could handle. Um, and um, I bought a rabbit vibrator that day. Lovely purchase. Highly recommended. Um, and um, she got one of those little uh, egg quit stimulators. And um, mm-hmm. there were some batteries, sent her off to her room. She's gone about three hours, and she comes out, and she sits down. She says, that was great. I don't even need a boyfriend anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I got a rabbit now. (laughs) I said, what you need is a boyfriend who knows what he's doing. This is what you need. (laughs) Is there something to be said for that? Yeah. I'm about to send somebody to the corner for their past inappropriate reading choices. (laughs) But, um, oh my God! Go, yeah, go, know, go to right? the corner. You need to think about your your choices, young lady. Um, Where was your mom? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Um, you know, mom joy, sex, joy of sex is great for learning about sex. Um, but if you want to learn about your body and all the things that it does, our bodies ourselves is a whole different journey. Um, yeah. It's like it's like a thousand pages, uh, and there's a lot of pictures, but there, it's it's a lot of information. It's like a it, it, you know it, it's textbook in length. So, um, but if you're just looking to learn about like sex, um, joy of sex is or joy of gay sex is, if that's your jam. I have both. Um, is is a really good choice for learning about you know how how bodies work from a sexual perspective, but body your health hormones, you know, how everything works as a, as a woman, our bodies ourselves is, is something that I would highly recommend to every woman. You can probably check it out at the library if you don't want to spend the, how much does it cost these days? Oh, it's cheap as hell. You get the Kindle edition for $14. Oh, 
You can get the thousand page paperback for seventeen dollars and thirty seven cents. I think that book was like thirty five dollars back when I bought it. Now you can see the textbook. Yeah, oh well, your mom gets a pass, but whoever was supposed to be monitoring your reading list needs a good talking to. And thank really your mom for her to. service. We really appreciate it. I mean, that's sincerely. there's nobody, nobody who hasn't had a sex education class should be reading the beauty books. I'm just saying. <laughs> That'll fuck you up. Uh huh. Like, is that the way that goes? No, that's not the way that goes. <laughs> that's not how any of that goes. That's just like when I lectured my mom about letting me read Clan of the Cave Bear. I was like, I can't believe you let me read this when I was 10. (laughs) Yeah. I I was reading it again when I was like 16 or 17. And she said, what? what?" I was like, it's full of rape. (laughs) I didn't even know it. Well, I told you about my my clusterfuck with my mom and my reading list one summer, um, where she had just she did not list the author. Okay, she just listed the book title, and what she wanted me to read was Justine by I want to say it was by Lawrence Durrell, which from part of the Alexandria Quartet. She didn't put any of that. She just put Justine. So I went and found the first Justine on the bookshelf that I could find. I want to say I was twelve, but I might have been thirteen. Um, Okay, the book that I found was Justine by the Marquis de Sade. It completely different book. Oh God! Book. <laughs> I well, remember the I, story. Yeah, it was I definitely. Read it. And then I wanted to know why she. And she comes home I'm like, "Why'd you want me to read that?" And she's like, "Why did you write?" Me? And then we had the whole we thought it would happen, and there was like recriminations kind of going on. She's like, "Why did you? Why did you call me? Why did you read that?" I'm like, "Why did you have that?" That's none of your business. <laughs> it probably was a collector's edition thing. Um, I want to say it was like second or third printing. Um, it was really old. So it never occurred to me when I picked this old book up off the shelf that, that it wasn't what she was talking about. But anyway, yeah, it was. <sighs> it was terrible stuff. That that is really terrible. So I did not need that in my head when I was that age. I don't think I want that in my head now. Terrible. It was terrible. And so I was. I think I was fifteen or so when she, I, I she was reading nine and a half weeks, right? And I wanted. I said I want to read that. And she's like, No, you're too, you're not old enough for this. I'm like, I'm sorry. What did you put on my summer reading list two years ago? <laughs> That book was not on your reading list. Like, sure seemed like it to me. (laughs) Is that book actually worse than what I've already read? No. (laughs) I don't know how it could be. No, it couldn't possibly be. I've never actually read Nine and a Half Weeks. Is it any good? No. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. It is. It's horrible. I can't (laughs) say... um, I don't want to. I don't want to book back. It's not about the author of the book. It's just a, as a as a BDSM dynamic. 
it is like the everything not to do. Everything oh, wow. you okay. do not do. Not, a scene's not negotiated. Um, I mean, when she can't handle it anymore, he just drops her off at a hospital and disappears. She has an emotional breakdown because she can't handle their dynamic anymore. And he just drops her off at a hospital in an emergency room because he can't wow. drop the dealer. He just drops her off and disappears. It's just like, it's just, it's so. That, is that how the book like is? Pretty close. Not quite, but pretty close. I mean, that was the climax. <laughs> so, uh, at least as I recall it. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's. BDSM, how not to do it. So that would be. Is the movie just as bad? No, no. The movie is totally whitewashing what happened in the book. Wow. It glosses over a lot of the a lot of the really questionable stuff in the book. The the movie had Kim Basinger in it, right? Yeah, and Mickey Rourke. Does Mickey Rourke look like an asshole, or is it just me? Yeah, yeah, totally. And the older he gets, the more he looks like an asshole. Yeah. Some men just do. Yeah. He could be a nice person for all I know, but that's not how he looks. So I put a little note on the bottom of this podcast. It says, no, the last hour of this podcast is mostly about sex. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about, we talked about craft for like, you know, an like hour. Like a whole hour. Just... But no, <laughs> no one had rails. any questions. We had no one had any questions. We had to talk about something. Sex is always a good topic. I, um, when I first started writing sex, I wrote a uh, very Harlequin desire kind of sex. You know, stuff blossomed and things, you know, bloomed. Oh, Kira, and... come on. Not blossoming. Maybe there was some blossoming. I'm I'm 100% positive there was some blossoming. I could look, but I'm pretty sure there was blossoming because I still have my first book. Um, and well, I was 12. Uh, you know, things blossomed. And oh, um, okay. At at 12, you can ocean waves um, crashed and. You know. <laughs> I'm sure there was a manhood involved and. <laughs> And then one day, like in my 30s, I was like, you know what? I am, I, I'm using cock and pussy. <laughs> I'm tired of fucking around with this. <laughs> I'm done. Cock. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was writing um, romances when I was a teenager, I would, they were all fade to black. They were all faded. But I think I, I was kind of, I mean, in that period of time, I did read um, I, th- I I do think I was a little bit mentally scarred over the whole Justine thing. I just wasn't interested in writing sex scenes. I was interested in romance, but I wasn't interested. In, I read sex scenes. I didn't want to write them. So that came that came way later in in life. Um, but by my mid twenties, I had read probably. Um, I mean, you pick an erotica book or what was considered a. a a, a well-known erotica book, I'd read it. So, I mean, I had read Story of O. I had read um, A Bunch of Stuff by Honest Men. I had read um, 
of course, nine and a half weeks. Um, and then by, by my 30s, I was regretting my life choices because I like my, you know, because that was also the period of like bodice rippers and stuff. And it was just, <laughs> I, I had to declutter my brain, sordid views of sexuality. So. Right. Because uh, it, it, I think it desensitized me a lot to, um, to, for what I read when I was young. And I remember I'd, I'd given up reading romance and I was reading um, science fiction a lot. And then I picked up an old romance novel that I used to love and I was furious. Uh, I, it was a Jude Devereaux book. And um, I loved Jude Devereaux and I was really, I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll, I love this book. I'm going to read it. And I'm like, three chapters in and I'm ready to murder the hero, the so-called hero. I'm like, oh my God, I... It was terrible. Jude Devereaux is an awesome writer, but she used to write a lot of stories where basically um, women got raped on their wedding night and they got over it. Yeah. And, yeah. And we just thought that was normal. And right. Completely desensitized. Completely desensitized to... Um, I mean, when I read when I read Nine and a Half Weeks, at the time, I didn't notice the consent issues in that story, which is stunning to me. Uh, I just thought that you know, it, I thought she was really like pushing the boundaries. Like it was amazing that she could could deal with all that. Um, it wasn't until later in life I was like, wow, that story is just wow. It, it's got some big consent problems, <laughs> like big. I have read Exit Eden. I have not. Um, I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't give my. Um, try. I won't, I'm not going to book bash. So I'm not going to give an opinion about it. But, um, I was. I was oblivious a lot of times to consent issues and stories at that period in time. And, um, I don't even know what woke me up. Uh, someday I might remember what what woke me up to. The, the like the rape fest that was all of the stuff I was reading and how it was an well, issue in the time I, period everybody was that way everybody I mean it yeah, was it, all it like one or two people that way um it was yeah it was it was everybody that was how romance was written you know um it didn't matter you know I just I look back at like one of my favorite romances of that time, and I, I mean, I think about the sex scene. If it wasn't for like, especially the first sex scene, um, I would probably reread that book now. But that first sex scene, I'm like, I can't, I can't get past that first sex scene ever, ever. Seven brides for seven brothers. Let's go steal the brides. At the time, I didn't understand why she was so upset with them for stealing the girls. It wasn't until later that I that I realized how horrible that was. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, even now, part of me, I like if Seven Brides of Brothers is on TV. Um, I watch the hell out of it. Make myself, yeah. If I can make myself not think about that aspect of it, I mean, but. There's they at least they don't like go all the way with that. I mean, she does step in and take care of the girls and keep the boys away from them. And um, but that whole kidnapping thing, I just kind of have to go. Uh, uh, uh. 
But some of the musical numbers, I just love them. So it's just it's one of those things. It's like it was of of an era when that was just the way everything was. And now I woke up to it at some point in my 30s, um, that early 30s, maybe right around the age of 30, that I was just reading a lot of really questionable stuff that had desensitized me to um, what was happening to women in real life. And I didn't want I didn't want my brain to be cluttered with that stuff. So Well, I think uh, it made them part of it is that we started really waking up to the rape culture in America, but it was entrenched in our media. And I mean, what was that big famous wedding in the soap operas where she married a rapist and and, and nobody was talking about how it was a problem? Um, Was it General Hospital or Days of Our Lives or what was that? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. I mean, they were reporting on that way like it was actually a real thing and people were actually getting married. They were treating those characters like they were real people. Yeah. Luke and Laura, thank you. Thank you. That's what it was. Yeah. That was General Hospital. General Hospital. And he raped her. And then they had this big romantic wedding. I'm pretty sure that was eventually a plot on Days of Our Lives as well. Um, All had that plot eventually. Yeah. Where eventually the girl gets together with a guy who raped her earlier on the show. But it's just, it was so, it was so prevalent in everything we were seeing and reading. And, and, and then, you know, one day we woke up to how many women in real life were being raped and, and, and that, the police officers weren't taking it seriously and there was this whole victim blaming thing and we're like well we're completely desensitized to it because it's in everything we read everything we see on tv then we, then we it's, got it's, it's got to change i remember when um special victims unit first started on tv i was like look at this they're treating it like it's something that matters and how sad is that that we would have to have that we, that, it, that would actually be true that they were treating it like it mattered. And that that was Because they hadn't before. And they were treating it like it was this terrible, bad thing that this person had done and they needed to be punished for it. And I think that's the first time I ever really saw that on TV. Explicitly said. Yeah. They talked about, you know... um, Victims being blameless, and it was just like, look at this. This is on Prime TV, and I think that show actually um, contributed a lot to, to people waking up to rape culture. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I remember the first time I saw the word ass in a Harlequin novel. I was like, holy shit, they used the cuss word. 
That was before they had Harlequin Blaze or anything like that. It was their Harlequin Desire book. And they were actually referring to somebody's piece of anatomy. It wasn't like they were calling somebody an asshole. They were like, her ass. And I'm like, well. <laughs> well. <laughs> how, how, how risque. <laughs> how shocking. It was shocking because it wasn't something you saw in a Harlequin. I remember, do you remember when the the original Clash of the Titans came out? I remember watching that movie for the first time, and when she comes, when, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the princess, but when she comes up out of the bath and she's naked, Andromeda. And butt, Andromeda. That was the first time I had ever seen uh, any part of anybody's anatomy on TV. And I was shocked. I, I just was astonished that there was a bare butt. And now, I mean, people could run around in thongs all day. And I wouldn't even notice. <laughs> it's like, there's another ass, whatever. I mean, pretty much you got to have your dick flopping in the breeze for me to notice that someone's not wearing clothes. Uh, the first time I saw somebody naked on TV, it was actually at school. And my teacher was showing a Shogun. And he had a sensor card he put up at a certain part, Right. But he got but he got called to the office, and I guess he didn't realize where he was in the movie with our class. And um, he comes running in about two minutes after the point where he would have wanted to censor that woman coming up out of that hot tub. And we're all just standing there, and he said, "Oh, fuck!" <laughs> he goes, "You guys didn't see that, and you guys didn't hear that." <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, no, we didn't see anything. <laughs> we, I don't, we don't know what you're talking about. We, and, and he never got in trouble for it, so no one told on him. NYPD Blue. Man, I was like, holy, dude, that, holy shit, that dude's naked on TV. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, did that just happen? Is there a nude person? What the hell? It's funny when I think about the the the, the things that, that in my mind stick out is like milestone moments of me being shocked by, you know, sexual content on TV or in movies or something. They're all so tame compared right? to the stuff I watch now, watch and read now. That it's it's just like um, not read. I mean, I read some pretty astonishing stuff when I was younger, but in terms of like visual obviously it it it. It was so different. I mean, because I, I was stunned for years by by bare butts. It was like whoa. I mean, I think the first time I, I don't even remember the first time I saw tits in a in a movie. Um, but I remember when we saw Top Gun in the theater. I do. It was Revenge I, of the Nerds. <laughs> or Revenge of the Nerds. Oh my God! Yes, that probably would have been it. But when I saw Top Gun, that the first the first the sex scene with um, when you see Kelly McGillis's tongue like. Because they had to do it in the silhouette, I was I was mm-hmm. I was shocked. I was like, "Oh my god, what what is going on here?" Um, somebody fetch my smelling salts. <laughs> my that first, now, like, oh, Tom, my first you do? sex scene that I watched in a movie was in Terminator. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I That's watched. Still, Mom had um, Mom had gotten that is still some a great sex scene. It is a great sex scene. She had gotten some movies at the the 
rental store, VHS, VHS tapes, um, and I was home. I had um, strep throat, so I was home, and she said I could watch any of the movies that she had rented. She had not watched them yet. And Terminator was one of them. And I, I don't know why I wanted to watch Terminator. I don't really remember. It might have been because I was really a big fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger because I really liked Conan or Red Sonja. Maybe it was Red Sonja. Anyways, um, I never really watched the first part of Red Sonja. And I didn't know why until I was like 15 or 16 and I got to watch the beginning of Red Sonja. And it was it ruined the whole movie for me. I'd never seen that opening scene. Oh, damn. The opening scene um, is rough. It's very rough. Um, anyway, so I put Terminator on, and I'm watching it. And I I watched the whole thing. And I'm like, I don't know how old I was. Um, and But it's the first sex scene I ever saw. And so I realized that I had watched something that my mother would not have wanted me to watch. So I rewound it, stuck it back in the case. <laughs> <laughs> acted like I hadn't seen it and I watched um, honestly I forget what I watched and, and so when she came home I had a movie in the VH, in the VHS player but it was not The Terminator and so she would watch the movies and um, uh, she said that I could watch The Terminator but she would have to fast forward through some of the parts so I'm like oh okay <laughs> Gee, she thanks, didn't find Mom. out I had acted watched the Terminator before she did until like I was 50 or 16. <laughs> wow. There is going to be a new, Terminator, a new Terminator movie that will take place um, after T2 so we can forget all the other stuff that happened. It's T1 and T2 and then it's going to be this new one with Linda Hamilton. So just forget the others right. happened. Retcon them. Get those other crazy shenanigans. View them as fan fiction. That, that's how I'm, that, that, that's how I'm going to treat it. Um, but yes, so that was the first one I ever watched, and it was hot. It still is hot. But the first one she ever let me watch was the one in Dirty Dancing. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Terminator. I mean, even by for me, even even today, I think that that is an exceptional sex scene. I mean, if only Linda Hamilton didn't have '80s hair, it would really withstand the test of time. It's very raw. Yeah, yeah. It look it looks like they're having sex. It it looks like sex. It it doesn't look like they're pretending to have sex. (laughs) It's even funnier when you think that when you realize that her husband was directing that. Okay. <laughs> My brain just kind of rebooted over that. I was like, whoa. Okay. Right? James Cameron was her husband at the time? Okay. There was, yeah, there was a nude scene in SG-1. Uh, yeah. In um, in the the original movie, um, the original series SG-1 was on Showtime. So the first oh that's the pilot, oh, oh that's right the pilot she was the naked pilot yeah. has Charay naked um, being presented to um to to Apophis that's right I forgot about that I always forget about the pilot because the pilot has such a different vibe to me to the rest of the show 
Well, that first season has a bit of a different vibe because it was done by Showtime. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. And I've seen the first season yeah. of SG-1 more than I've seen any of the other seasons. I have, we have the DVDs, and they have the original pilot on um, the DVDs. Um, I don't think they showed the original pilot on um, Sci-Fi Channel. I, th- I, th- I think they cut out a whole bunch of the original pilot, in- including the naked scene, obviously. Yeah. Now, I remember, I think the, I think probably the last time I was shocked by sex on TV, like, whoa, uh, it was another, I think, it was, I think this was a Showtime show, but we heard that Queer as Folk was coming out, um, the U.S. version was coming, and um, I had friends who were all very excited for it, so we all gathered together at my house for the, for the premiere of the first episode, and I don't know what any of us were expecting, but it wasn't that. I think everyone was just kind of frozen. Like, well, did anybody think the sex on this was going to be that graphic? Huh. I did we say. Did we really think we were going to go see porn um, together at your house? Because that's not what we... You know, my, my most vivid memory of Queer as Folk is him coming out of the bedroom naked. <laughs> that's your most vivid memory? Uh, it is. It is. My, it is. My most vivid memory actually is when they, um, them fucking in the. Well, there's two actually, but the of early uh, early in the season, um, it's it's them fucking in the in the hotel room in New York after Brian chases Justin down because Justin steals Brian's credit card and goes to New York. Yeah, that whole that sex scene was just like whoa. Whoa. Am I old enough for this? I mean, I was. I think I was 27. So I was old enough, but it didn't feel like I was old enough. I, um... The first time I watched, uh, when I watched The L Word, I was really surprised by how graphic they got. I don't know why. I I just expected something different. I I thought it would be a little bit more soft. Um, yeah, but they were hardcore. No. It, yeah, they, they really were. Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing about that is, I it's amazing that I was so surprised. I just because it had never been mainstream media before like that, especially not with a gay a gay cast. Um, I, I mean, a gay focus show. So it was just so astonishing. And at the, I mean, I was I was like when Chris what came out it was in two thousand, so I would have been twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven. I'm making sure I could do math. Um, and I was already I was already spending time in dungeons on the weekend and stuff, so I shouldn't have been shocked by seeing anything. So, and then all of a sudden that comes on. I'm sitting there with two of my friends, and we're going, well, "How do we react to sitting here watching this with each other?" And one of my friends is like, "Rewind it and watch it again." <laughs> I'm like, "All right." Oh, we're down to ninety seconds. Well, we managed to fill up that hour just talking about sex. And we didn't even sing. Although There's I was definitely no one. singing. Um, anyways, you guys have a great week. And um, we'll probably catch you on Friday because I have a whole bunch of writing to do this week. And um, um, uh, we'll, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> we could get really bored, though. You never know. It could you be never epic know. Boredom. That could be. A second night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>